If you look up feel in the dictionary, you'll see around 20 meanings. Feel, think about that word. And generally, the common thread between all of those meanings is the word natural. And it comes at it from two points of view. Naturally from the outside where you're feeling a sensation, naturally from the inside where you're feeling an emotion. But also there's about a hundred idiomatic expressions for the word feel, which include on the downside, I feel bad, I feel terrible, I feel your pain. But on the upside, I feel fit, I feel right at home, I feel like a million bucks. And when it comes to today's guests, he inspires his stakeholders to feel bigger. What he wants you to do is to feel the world. Next, as you feel the world, what he is asking you to do, what he inspires me to do every day when I put on his shoes, he's asking us to live your life feet first. His name is Steven Sashin. He's an athlete, a gymnast, he's a sprinter, and he's an entrepreneur, and he is one of the few people that I know that actually said no to Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. And sometimes not getting what you want is often getting what you need. And I wonder if that's what he needed, perhaps. But I do feel honored to welcome Stephen Sashin, founder of Zero Shoes, to a climb to the top stories of transformation. Stephen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. That was a hell of an intro and cross your fingers. I can live up to it. <laughs> well, it, it was as I was prepping for the show, Stephen, just because I wear your shoes and we'll get into it. I feel the world. Yeah. I feel the earth. I feel things. And what I think you and I both do, we try to inspire the world to feel not necessarily what we feel, but to feel the endless possibilities. Before we get into your background, is that what you strive for on any given day? Um, yes and no. I'll say that that's a derivative of what I go for. I'm a fondness of the truth. I have a fondness for looking underneath what people present as being factual uh, to see if there's something more essential underneath that. A lot of people, they get to a certain level and they find an answer that works. And so they stop right there. I want to see what's going on underneath that. I like to 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 break out of mythology. I like to find you know where the urban myth is that that replaced actual valuable information. And it just so happens that when you do that, it does open up your mind to a much bigger set of possibilities. Um, we had a um, just as a as a fun aside, we had a private equity partner when they were courting us. One of the uh, people on that team, who's now on our board, who used to be the CEO of a multi-billion-dollar footwear brand, said, uh, "Do you see your brand becoming a billion-dollar brand in ten years?" And I said, "Oh, I, I don't think so." And there's a long pause. I said, seven years." And so, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> uh, and, and so, but the reason for that is is not because I'm being hyperbolic or hyper optimistic, but because what we're doing is such a provide such a life-changing experience for people that that's what's grown it. And more, if we, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, if we start understanding the human body, understanding the history of something as crazy and seemingly simple as footwear, what we're doing just makes sense and has the and has a reason for living 
in a way that's unusual. As my wife says, there's enough shoe companies in the world, you don't need another one, unless what you do is changing people's lives. And that's what we hear all day, every day. And so that's what opened us up to this sort of world changing possibility. And you know, you, what you were speaking of, Stephen, is the examiner in you, the explorer mm -hmm. in you, and perhaps the scientist in you. But I, I want to relate a story that you and I, whether we knew it or not, we were coming from a similar place about 12 years ago. I am, for, for our listeners, they know I'm a mountaineer, but also the mountaineering was preceded by, I was, I was a distance runner since the time I was 23. Two marathons in my 20s, hundreds of halves and thousands of everything else. But in 2009, and I always wore the standard conventional shoes, I struggled with an IT band injury that I just couldn't shake. And I was so incredibly frustrated. I didn't want to take medicine for it. I took some physical therapy. Nothing was working. All of a sudden, maybe it was manna from heaven, I read a book called Born to Run. And as I read the book, and I'm going to hold it in my hands because it is so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> as I read this book, Stephen, I stopped. Honest to God, I said, maybe the answer for what I'm looking for is in this book. And it described the title Humato. And it talked about the evolution of running for thousands of years and that we're born to run. You, though, and, and subsequent to that, I switched into barefoot running. I switched into your shoes and I go out there and subsequent, I can say this and I'm going to knock wood. I have not had a running injury and I run with the same level of enthusiasm as I have since that happened. I changed my gait. My calves were a little sore at first and all of a sudden everything got better. Your origin, tell us about how you got to this and what happened to you when you read Born to Run. Yeah, it's a similar story, but before I even jump into that, for anyone who's watching this and sees the background where there's someone running in sandals, many of you will think that's insane. Um, and I'm not gonna argue with you. Um, uh, there are ways to, reasons to, or ways to think about that that are not so crazy making for you. And there's reasons that you're gonna be inspired by or, or intrigued by, I certainly make you think. So my story is, um, uh, gosh, when I was 45, which is now 14 years ago, I got back into sprinting after a 30 year break and was continually getting injured for the first couple of years. And a friend of mine handed me a copy of Born to Run. He's a world champion cross country runner, suggested I run barefoot just to see what I learned. So I'm not trying to talk people into running barefoot. That's a whole other universe. Um, you don't have to be a hippie freak to do that if you don't want to. But anyway, it's you know super fun, but not required. Uh, and but the short version is, by getting my bare feet on the ground and getting those sensations, feeling the world, I learned why I was getting injured first and foremost. I could feel the form problems that I had that were invisible when my feet were numb from wearing traditional footwear. And even more, it became effortless to change my gait. It wasn't something I had to think about because doing it wrong hurts, doing it right felt good. And in changing that, uh, my injuries went away as well. I developed arches in my comically flat feet. Uh, I became a master's all-American sprinter. Um, technically for men over 55, I may be the fastest Jew in the world right now. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's quite a distinction. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of competition for that one. So, um, so that was, I mean, that was the gist of it. And then I wanted that natural movement experience because it was so valuable. I wanted it all the time. And I wanted to stop arguing with people at restaurants and at Whole Foods about, you know, going, whether I could go in barefoot. I mean, Whole Foods in Boulder, Colorado, they're not okay if you walk in barefoot, but it's okay if you're breastfeeding your dog. You know, it's just a weird place. So I started making sandals based on a 10,000 year old idea uh, and made those for friends. And they told two friends and they told two friends. And one day a guy says to me, I've got a book coming out called Barefoot Running. It's a guy named Michael Sandler. And if you treated this sandal making 
hobby, like a business and had a website, I'd put you in the book. So I had been an internet marketer since 1992. I built thousands of websites. Uh, so I rush home. I pitch this incredible opportunity to my wife who assures me I have my head completely up my butt and that I shouldn't do it. It's a waste of time and energy. And I assured her that she was correct and that I wouldn't do it. And so I waited till she went to bed before I built a website. And then, uh, and here we are now almost 12 years later, having helped hundreds of thousands of people discover the, the value of natural movement, the benefits and the fun and the comfort of footwear that allows you to do what your body is made to do. It's one thing to build a website and to have an idea, but it's another thing to turn this into a billion-dollar company in seven years. As you went, you're, you're well, we haven't wife. gotten there yet. Let's no, I appreciate that. Let's let's just say well, I, I'm hoping one day you'll get there because I want to help you get there. But let's just say when you were building that website, what was in your head? Because you must have been thinking, "This is a hobby." Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll help other people. Yeah. Were you thinking that far ahead, or were you just getting through this? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I mean. As I was building the site, one of my first thoughts actually was that I need to somehow find a way to found or fund or participate in an umbrella organization about the benefits of natural movement to combat the propaganda that the big shoe companies have been spewing out for 50 years. I knew that we needed sort of a third party validation because people were going to think this whole idea was crazy. And it's not, but that's only what we've come to believe because of the marketing from the big companies in the last 50 years. So I knew there was a there there. But frankly, in the early days, we were selling a do-it-yourself sandal making kit. Um, so it couldn't have had a higher barrier to entry if you, unless you were making it out of lava or diamonds or you know something totally impractical. And so we were really just trying to think of what are we going to do to give as many people the experience of natural movement as we could. And frankly, we thought, you know, we'd probably have to build this thing for a couple of years and maybe after three years, we'd be able to sell it for about $5 million and never have to work again. So that was really the thought then. And then the things that we learned over time about what it would take to implement that idea conflicted with reality, both getting on Shark Tank and what that allowed us to do and the, the focus that it gave us. And also the simple thing, I'll, I'll reveal it, our business model, our fantasy business model was we would give away a 3D scanning kiosk to any store that would want one. So people would be able to scan their feet. We'd make a custom-made sandal for them. We'd overnight it to them. They'd have it the next day. Oh. Great idea. Um, so it was just free money for the people who were taking, who were putting the kiosks in whatever retail establishment they had and really easy business on our end until we found out that the kiosks were going to be $20,000 each <laughs> and that high cost really of entry, find good technology. <laughs> yes. And we couldn't really find a good technology for doing the, um, for automating the custom made version of the shoes. So now again, coincident with that is when we met a guy who uh, had been in the footwear business for 40 plus years, who loved what we were doing. He'd most recently been at Crocs. He was at Doc Martin and Wilson and uh, he co-founded Avia, and between him showing up and Shark Tank showing up and this, uh, the cost of kiosk showing up, um, it just changed our direction. It wasn't a pivot per se. It was just other things showed up in our right in front of us that were clearly the way to go. And when you think about, I'm asking you, Stephen, inside, as you were developing this and you were beginning mm -hmm. to to really grasp the reality that this could be something. What were you feeling inside about where you were going? <laughs> um, for both my wife and I, she's my co-founder and CFO. And for both of us, this is sort of the, the it's not the perfect storm because that's a negative connotation. Whatever the right version of that is, yeah. it's the, it, this is allowing us to use everything that we do best at the maximum value that we could do it. So right. it was super exciting on that 
uh, one hand. The vision for what this could do, because the value of natural movement expand, extends to pretty much anything you can think of, uh, was also significant. Um, and simultaneously, I was frankly furious because I don't like, as a marketing person, I don't like when people sell products to consumers by lying to them. And the more I got into the footwear industry, the more I saw that it was just a bunch of lying sacks of you know fill in the blank. And um, which I normally fill in quite easily, but somehow I didn't do it this time. So, uh, you know, it, it's reprehensible watching what the major shoe companies have done in the last 50 years. Many of them have said directly to friends of ours, not to my face specifically, directly to friends of ours, we know this whole natural movement thing is legit. We just can't do it because it would be admitting that everything we've said for 50 years is bullshit. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I just said it there. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, that is, that is just uh, morally reprehensible to me. And so it's given me a bit of a mission above and beyond our business. Like if some, if, if suddenly all the big shoe companies started doing exactly what we're doing, I would still think that we were success because we're trying to change the world because what we're doing is a better thing. I don't need to be the guy who's the winner in that. The winner is humans. Right. I want to get back. I, 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 we'll come back to this, but I, I want to hammer home something to our listeners. When I read Born to Run, Stephen, one of the key takeaways is that, and I'm going to pick on Nike because Christopher McDougall picked on Nike at the time. Nike yeah. came up with a solution to a problem that didn't exist in the 70s. Right. And, and you give them shoes, and if they get injured, you give them more padding. And if they get injured, get more padding. What I found when I was marathoning in the 80s, when I got together with my running friends, what did we talk about? Our injuries. Jeez. That was yeah. first and foremost, it came up. So immediately, I was bought into the fact that perhaps if I do this, it's the avoidance of the things that are keeping me from running. How do you then, given all of that hyperbole, let's just assume our, our audience accepts, okay, Chuck, Stephen, I get you. I'd love to hear it from you now. Talk about we as human beings, how we are born to run, whether it is through science, oh. just your point of view. I want our listeners to feel what it feels like when you and I are running. Well, it's easy. Think back to when you were a kid. Remember being out on a warm summer day, you go outside, you kick off your shoes, you feel the grass between your toes or the sand under your feet or the water around your ankles or the dirt you're playing in. And if, if you don't remember this, go out and watch little kids run. They have this weird look on their face. It's called, um, what's it called? Uh, smiling. And <laughs> oh, that. And, and that <laughs> one. Uh, they do it for fun. They run till, they, till they're tired, then they stop until they're ready to start again. They laugh, they play. I mean, it is the best. We all remember that. We've all had that experience. Think about what it's like at the end of a day when you come home. Do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day? If not, you know, the phrase people have is my shoes are killing me or my feet are killing me. It's like, no, your shoes are killing your feet. If you feel better when you take them off, there's a problem with the shoes, not with you. And so the, the evolution of footwear, uh, about 10,000, there's an archaeological dig. They found a sandal in, from in Oregon made out of sagebrush. It looks a lot like some of our sandals, some of our original designs. Uh, and then for the, for the 9,950 years after that sandal was made, footwear was fundamentally the same. Back to the picture behind you, something to protect the bottom of your foot, something to hold the protection on your foot, something flexible enough to let you still let your foot move, something that lets you feel what's happening on the ground so your brain knows what to do to adjust how you're moving across that terrain. There's a reason we have more nerve endings in the soles of our feet 
than anywhere but our fingertips and lips. It's to feel things, to get sensation, to know if something's good or bad, to know if you're moving efficiently and effectively and enjoyably and to make changes so that you can. And if, you're, if you have all that padding between you and the ground, you're making your feet numb and dumb. That's not good. It also doesn't work. The cushioning doesn't work. Uh, there's tons of evidence that shows this, that impact forces, people think running is full of impact, really painful. Well, ironically, the impact forces are not reduced by cushioning and often increased because your brain is looking for that feedback again. And if it can't get it, it will land harder to try to get some information. Interestingly, we are built to, back to your born to run question, we have these um, springs and shock absorbers built into our body. They're called the muscles, ligaments, and tendons. I was gonna say of our lower limbs, but basically of everything from your, your nose down because your entire body is involved in doing this. And so we're wired to do it. The Achilles tendon is one of the best springs ever made. It loads when you land properly and gives you propulsion when it releases that energy. If you have a higher heeled running shoe, you're interfering with the job your Achilles has to let you run. Um, Harvard's Daniel Lieberman says that we were all born to be persistence endurance hunters. You look at, all, at, at people in, in, in indigenous tribes, animals can't sweat, they have to pant and panting is not very efficient. So the way we used to hunt animals and some tribes still do is basically walk them down. You just keep following them. Eventually they just can't get up fast enough and there you show up. Now I've argued with Dan. I said, we're not all persistence endurance hunters. I'm not that guy. I'm not gonna jog slowly for however many miles and catch the animal. And he said, well, you just don't train that way. I said, that's what all you slow guys say. No, there's two different people. There's the people who do what you do and there's my people, the sprinters. We show up and then we put the antelope on our back and carry it home because me and my friends, we all deadlift three times our body weight and you guys can barely do a push-up. So, you know, different folks for different <laughs> Um, but if you, again, if you look at the history of I, another Harvard doctor, Irene Davis, she said it best. We were in a panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine. So guys from, some guys from Brooks were there. Some guys from Adidas were there. And she asked the last question, which if I'm remembering correctly, was basically in the 60s, we were running in super thin soled running shoes. We were playing basketball in Chuck Taylors. We weren't getting the kind of injuries, the number of injuries or the severity of injuries we've seen since. So what problem were you trying to solve and why didn't it work? To which it was dead silent. And um, more, if Irene has said, if you look up running injuries in PubMed and all the medical research that talks about running injuries, prior to 1970, you basically find none. And then after 1970, you find a bunch. And some people say, well, that's because more people started running. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, more people started running, but also again, more injuries of very specific kinds, actually very reproducible uh, that, than we've ever seen before. And to your point about Nike coming up with this fundamental shoe design, here's something that people need to know that um, doesn't get talked about very often. It wasn't really Nike's idea. They were sharing a building with some guys who were either sports podiatrists or orthopedic podiatrists. Don't hold me to that one because I can't remember the, exactly. Who uh, Bill Barrowman from Nike said, I'm getting these runners with Achilles tendonitis. What do you recommend? And they said, well, clearly their Achilles have shortened from wearing higher heel dress shoes. So make this higher heel running shoe, put a wedge of foam in there and that should help. Now, when you put a wedge of foam in there, um, that means you end up landing on your heel. Your heel is a ball, a ball is unstable. So now you have to build in motion control. If you land on your heel, you're landing with your foot far in front of your body. So by the time your foot comes down to the ground, it's essentially flat and you're not engaging the arch and the, the, the not only the muscles and ligaments and tendons of the arch, but the bones of your foot that are designed to make an arch, the most stable structure we can think of, support you. So now they have to build in arch support because you're otherwise putting too much strain on your arch if you land with your foot too far in front of 
of you and flap it to the ground. Um, so cut to some like 35 years later, one of these podiatrists is at a track meet with a friend of mine, a guy who worked directly with Bill Bowerman for decades. And my friend says, your design idea has become ubiquitous in modern athletic footwear, in part, frankly, because footwear companies are a bunch of copycats. If something starts to catch on, everyone else starts doing it because they're afraid they're never going to make another penny, uh, which is what happened when the barefoot boom kicked in. Shoe companies were afraid no one was ever going to buy a shoe again. So they were putting out a bunch of propaganda about how if you run barefoot, you'd step on hypodermic needles and get Ebola and your kids won't get into college and your mortgage rate will go up and you won't know, remember how to use the letter E. You know, it was crazy. So anyway, um, my friend says, you know, your design has become ubiquitous. What do you think about that? And this doctor said, biggest mistake we ever made. This whole Achilles shortening thing, we didn't have evidence for that. We were seeing, we were making a lot of prosthetics. So we saw everything with a prosthetic requirement lens. And so that's what we came up with, but we've seen the effect of that. Not good. Yeah. And, and thank you for all of that. And that the context of Born to Run is the, the, the shoes are inhibiting our body's natural ability to do what we did. And in my case, my injury came from because of that inhibition. And once I got onto the shoes, I was freed of that and the body did what it was supposed to do. Well, Stephen, let, me, let, me, let me interject by saying it's not about the footwear. It's about the form. It's just that the footwear can interfere with natural form. Good. And there's, so there's footwear that can interfere with it and footwear that can support it. And most footwear is interfering with it. And again, here's the thing that's crazy. The guys who are making that stuff, they know it. They just can't change course. They tried. There were a number of companies who came up with minimalist, quote unquote, minimalist products in 2010, 2011. And then they stopped selling them because they couldn't tell two stories simultaneously. They couldn't tell big, thick padding and no padding at the same time and justify it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, I think part of this, Stephen, is you represent to me, and I hope that I am a good representative for this, for this nobler cause. This is this is certainly trying to help people from being injured, but this is a better way and a healthier way of experiencing and feeling the world. But I want to get to because you have a business and it started mm. to take off with or without Shark Tank. The next day, I understand yeah. you got thousands of orders. Just tell us about the business, your, the business that you're in, irrespective of the competitors. <laughs> what um, is it ju just to many of our business students listen in and many of, of my clients listen? What is it like to be in this business? Um, uh, let's see. The fact that I have long hair is sort of crazy because it's always on fire. So the, the best story I can tell is about seven months in, we met some guys who had all been in footwear for almost 40 years. They became advisors to us for a while. They were super helpful. Um, it, it was wonderful. We met them accidentally through someone else who was in the footwear biz. And they said, the first thing they said when we, they met us was natural movement's the most important thing in footwear and no one's doing it right now. So how can we help? The second thing they said is, uh, we would do this business with you and run this with you, except we've been in footwear so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. It is, <laughs> <That's a good laughs> it is ridiculously hard. Uh, making things is hard. Selling things is hard. Making footwear is unbelievably hard uh, for reasons that I, will take us hours to go into all of them. But there's a lot of humans still involved. Um, feet are interesting for any given size, like a size nine. There are 54 different shapes of a size nine. People have different preferences about who, how shoes fit, what they're going to do in them, what they want to do in them, what they're supposed to feel like when they're in them. There's, you know, people are very. There's a. There's reasons we have foot fetishes. Feet are really important. And everyone thinks that they're normal and we're all a little abnormal. So um, the, the biggest challenge, frankly, 
is that we were growing and still are growing so quickly that finding the capital to handle that growth was unbelievably difficult. Finding enough people to manage that growth, incredibly difficult. Um, and Lena, there's a great story early on. She, at the end of the day, she was kind of upset and I asked her what was happening. She goes, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, nobody knows what we're doing. I mean, no one's ever done this before. Our, we're, we're not supposed to know in advance. Our job is to figure it out as fast as we can and then act accordingly. She says, well, oh, I can do that. I said, yeah, of course you can. You're like one of the smartest people I know. So that's really our job. I, the way I say it, um, the, the, I don't like using the word success, but for shorthand, I'll use it. The success we've had, um, I would say it's 90% luck. And then there's the other 10% is also luck. And then there's a whole separate 100% where 90% of that is working your ass off every day. And the other 10% is hopefully being smart enough to know how to put out the fires that started overnight, despite the fact that nothing changed since yesterday, um, or because something massive changed out of nowhere, every, almost every day, some crazy thing happens that you never imagined in a million years, and you got to deal with it. Um, here's a, just off the, uh, I'm trying to think if I want to mention this. Let's just say that we have been the victim of certain kinds of fraud because ironically, because we've gotten popular enough that people are trying to use us to do their illegal things. Yeah, you're a target. And, yeah. And, you know, we have a target on our back and, you know, congratulations, we're successful enough that we've done that. Right. But some of the things that people have done are mind blowing. And I would have never thought of them in a million years. And then we have to figure out a way to get smarter than they are as quickly as possible right. and, and dissuade them from trying to get smarter than us again. So we don't want to play a cat and mouse game. Um, that said, the thing that gets us out of bed every morning is the emails and phone calls and reviews and testimonials we hear from people saying you changed my life, either because of just comfort or because they've had um, scenarios like yours. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the internet, so I'm not going to make medical claims. But the simple thing is using your body naturally is better than doing something that interferes with that. And there's lots of ways that we interfere with that without knowing. So there's a great satisfaction in that. Um, and for me, the overarching feeling is uh, two, there are a couple, but the biggest one is I'm so hyper aware of the gap between where we are now and where I can see us going and what it takes to get there that that's uh, really unpleasant in my mind because I just don't have the resources to implement what my vision is. And that's kind of my job as the vision guy. So that's uh, uniquely unpleasant. Now, that said, I've been in the internet marketing game for long enough to know that every successful marketer, every successful business person I know has hundreds, if not thousands of ideas of things they knew they could have, should have done, but never got around to. And had they only done those things. So, you know, it can all work out brilliantly, even if you only do 10% of what's on your to-do list. And that's my big fantasy is that one day my to-do list is shorter at the end of the day than the beginning of the day. But uh, I'm, I also know that that's a fantasy. It is, it is Cinderella. It's a fairy tale. One thing before we get to where we find you, this is my big question for either your investors, be in private equity, or even your, your customers. I was bought into it because I saw the evidence immediately because I was so desperate to try something different. Right. How do you know before the purchase occurs or perhaps with your investors, how do you know when they're bought in to, to this concept, which is contrary to what they've been told about shoes for 50 years? 
I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. You can't just tell people they've been lied to or they're wrong. You especially can't tell people they're wrong yeah. uh, because we don't, as humans, we don't handle that well. You can't tell people, here's what you need to do because as humans, we don't handle that well. Uh, we've seen evidence of that in the last year and a half. So <laughs> the only thing that you can do really is, uh, this is going to sound crazy. Um, you need to tell the truth and in doing so, get people into a state of cognitive dissonance where their own experience undercuts what they be unknowingly believed. Right. So I know that sounds a little complicated, but let me give you an example that has nothing to do with us. Uh, Thai anti-smoking campaign. It's a uh, commercial where you see somebody walking up. Well, you don't see the person. It's a first person shot of somebody walking up to a smoker whose back is to the camera. And the person says, can I get a light? And the smoker turns around and starts lecturing the person on why they shouldn't smoke and how bad smoking is for your health. Seems kind of weird until the camera turns around and you see that the person who said, can I get a light is like a 10 year old kid. And the, then it all makes sense. And then the kid hands the smoker a folded up piece of paper. When they open it up, it says, if that's the advice you're giving me, why aren't you following it yourself? And here's the number for an anti-smoker or smoking cessation hotline. We fundamentally do that same kind of thing because everyone has had the experience of how using your body naturally is better. How walking on a you know, wonderfully comfortable grassy nature surface is delightful. How even just feeling the sensations, if you can walk on something like the road in the picture behind you can be really interesting. And if it's not, not right now, remember when it was, because the only reason it's not right now is because you basically cooped up your feet in what I affectionately call foot coffins that are not letting your body do what's natural. You can come back to that at any time. So if I, if I can remind people of the truth underneath the propaganda that you need cushioning our support and motion control, et cetera, um, then that's going to wake people up to some possibility if they're not in a situation where they were injured and just looking for a solution. And so then, but the other one, the bigger one, frankly, is not anything I do. It's what happens when people who are wearing zero shoes are out and about and someone looks at them and goes either what are those or are those zero shoes because they saw us on Shark Tank or, you know, they're unusual looking enough that every customer we have has a story of being stopped on the street by a stranger who wants to talk about their shoes. I say, if you're antisocial, don't buy our shoes because strangers will talk to you. Stephen, I want to relate, re relate a very quick story. I was on a plane, probably at JFK. I don't remember where I was. I was going somewhere and I had your shoes on and I was in there and somebody next to me leans over and somebody else leans over. And next thing I know, it's like my Columbia class. I had about a hundred people around <laughs> me. Honest people, people were curious in the airport. What the hell is this guy talking about? And yeah. I felt like the Pied Piper. And it wasn't that I was talking about the shoes necessarily. They prompted the discussion. It right. led me to so enthusiastically talking about the justification for why I'm wearing these crazy things. And right. I could see, I felt the people leaning in like, wow, you, you felt the sense of resonance, of relatability. This is, yeah. you must get that all the time. I don't get out much. Um, but yes. So um, the thing that basically, the, I realized the answer to your question is this. We need to present the story, the information in such a way that people's response is, yeah, that makes sense. Right. We don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to get them hyped up. I'm not trying to convince them the way that you do with a problem solution company that all you need to do is buy this product and your life will change. Um, you know, what I'm trying to do is get people to real recognize the truth because that's going to be more powerful than any story that is full of beliefs.
No and sometimes I do that by, uh, by undercutting and undermining the stories that I will use the phrase in every context possible, brilliant marketers for these big shoe companies use. So for example, um, Adidas came up with a product called Boost Foam. And the way they showed how great it was is by bouncing like a two pound steel ball off of some concrete, barely bounced off of some other company's foam, bounced a little better off the Boost Foam, bounced like 10 times. Really cool demonstration of how bouncy the foam is, except that you're not a two pound steel ball. You don't just fall uh, with gravity and have a fully elastic body, fully elastic meaning that the de deformation of the steel ball comes back as quickly as possible. And ironically, I happen to know this, the Exploratorium Museum in San Francisco has an exhibit where they bounce that steel ball off a steel plate that has concrete underneath it. And the first, you drop the steel ball through a piece of plexiglass, has a hole in it. The first bounce of the ball hits the plexiglass and then it bounces 250 more times. So, <laughs> If you're gonna use this example of quote energy return, clearly we should be wearing steel shoes running on steel streets. And since that's not what we do, you know, pointing out things like that, or when someone says I need arch support, showing how an arch is the most stable structure ever made. And the way you break an arch is by supporting it, pushing it from the bottom, and then showing that you have one of those in your feet if you use your feet correctly. It makes people go, okay, that makes sense. Or look, here's my favorite one, I'm gonna hold up a shoe. Look at the shape of the toe box of this regular running shoe. It's pointy. Look at your foot. It's not pointy, unless you've been shoving it in shoes and have bunions and things that make it pointy. That's look at your foot, look at the shoe, look at your foot, look at the shoe, and ask yourself, what the hell am I doing squeezing my foot, my, my, my oval shape into a triangular hole? That just doesn't make sense. And there's, of course, research that shows that doesn't make sense. There's also research that backs up everything that I say. There's research showing that if you just walk in shoes like ours, you build intrinsic foot muscle strength. Research showing if you support the healthy arch of someone, it reduces strength by up to 17% in 12 weeks. And there's tons of the research. But again, you can't give people data to make them change their mind. You have to have them come to it on their own in a way where they go, yeah, that's dismissing what they believe previously. Well, it's, it, seems, it seems to me the conclusion that you're leading, and I've heard you say this many times as I've watched a lot of the things that you have put out is let your feet be feet. It's such a simple thing. Feet. <laughs> let them be feet. Um, just a couple other things. Okay. What, what I love about your company, particularly when there's a purchase, you have a team that you call the customer happiness team. And I love that okay. about it because I think it speaks volumes to your culture. Tell us about or to our listeners if they are interested in two things. One, if they want to learn more about barefoot running and, or the concept of running what we've described naturally, and then naturally exactly thank you for for, for the for, for that clarification and then where where do they get zero shoes um all of those are the same so you can find us uh, not surprisingly at zero shoes.com and that's x-e-r-o shoes plural.com although if you type in z-e-r-o you will find us as well thanks to some clever domaining that i did <laughs> good move <laughs> long story about that uh that was kind of fun and and then of course on social media at either at zero shoes or slash zero shoes wherever you at or slash if you go to our website you'll find uh, a learn more section with a whole bunch of articles about natural movement whether you're walking running hiking etc if you go to our youtube channel there's a lot of that as well um and and frankly just go to youtube and just do a search for barefoot running or natural movement you'll find a lot of other people and other companies uh who are talking about this as well because there is this nice groundswell a grassroots thing where people are starting to realize again it's not about being barefoot it's about doing what's natural and what i like to say is we're helping people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious better healthy choice the way we currently think of natural food and if you keep that if you kind of keep that analogy in mind 
things start to make sense. We don't like processed food. Well, same thing, you don't, you don't need processed feet. And some people say, oh, there's technology, it's great. The evidence is very clear that technology has never done anything. So if you're inspired, go to PubMed and do a search for uh, barefoot running or barefoot shoes or minimalist shoes. Uh, search for Irene Davis or Isabel Sacco, S-A-C-C-O, or Sarah Ridge or Daniel Lieberman the, um, or Peter Francis. This will lead you to a number of people who are, who are really diving into this deeply. And what they find is really simple. Use it or lose it. Couldn't be simpler than that. And it's never too late to start using it. And I appreciate that. And to our listening audience, thank you as always for tuning in. You can always find me on chuckgarcia.com. Hit the contact tab. We the contact tab. We'd love to hear from you. But Stephen, I, I want to conclude here by saying, and, and to our audience as well, I, I go running or I, I actually go into the woods and I'm, I have a paleo playground. I throw logs and rocks and I do all kinds of things, but I do them wearing zero shoes. And when I wear zero shoes, I, I feel fit. Mm. I feel right at home. I feel like a million bucks, but Stephen, I feel very honored for you coming on to a climb to the top stories of transformation. And I thank you for sharing your story. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Chuck. It was great. It was a pleasure. And to our audience, good night. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.